My name is Andy Callis, and I'm the student pastor here at Cape Bible Chapel. In case I haven't met you, so glad that you're here with us this morning. I wanted to start out by asking you a question. Have you underwent any difficult projects lately? Um, maybe it's something like um, a home remodel, or maybe it's something like uh, a personal growth type thing. I'm trying to start this diet or this fitness plan or trying to break this habit or start this new habit, something like that. Maybe it's a new project at work. And projects can be tough. Um, basically, for me, anytime I get a tool in my hand, it becomes a difficult project. If you, if you know me very well, you'll know that I'm just, I'm just not real handy. I'm not really wired to, to do stuff with tools. And uh, recently, uh, my friend Rick and I, we, we remodeled part of our basement, and we made a room down in our basement. And, and, and Rick was the guy that had all the experience. He had all the knowledge. He had all the tools. I, I basically brought like a hammer and a screwdriver and a drill to the table. And he made fun of my hammer. I mean, I really didn't have much of anything to contribute to this project. And in fact, he had really kind of looked at our basement and said, you know, I think you can do this, and I've got kind of a vision for this, and here's how you could kind of, you know, complete this whole thing and make it look great. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. I'm just kind of along for the ride and hoping that maybe I can hold like the screwdriver at times to just kind of be of help. And hopefully I can maybe learn some things as we go. And here's what I found is I was... I was of best use and I was most focused whenever Rick would say, here's, here's a couple things I want you to do. Do this and then do this and then do this. Don't think about long-range plan, uh, the vision for the whole basement. Don't think about where we're trying to go a couple weeks from now. Can you just kind of do these three things? Just focus on these three things. And that's when I actually felt like I was, I was somewhat useful. You know, I had these three steps and I could focus on that. And whenever we, uh, whenever we have projects and we're trying to complete those projects, and maybe it's remodeling part of your home and trying to craft a room, that can be pretty tough. But it can be even harder when you're trying to craft someone's life. And God has called all of us to do that. That's the most difficult project that he has called any of us into, is to disciple someone. And he has called for all of us to make disciples. This is in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Every single one of us has been called to baptize and to teach people about Christ. So all of us are in that boat, and it's a difficult and weighty task that all of us have been called to. Um, but many of us either have or will be called to make disciples in our own home, and that's called parenting. And that is a very difficult and weighty task that God has called each of us into. And that's going to be what we talk about today as we look at Ephesians 6.4. And as I said before, I'm kind of a give me three things that I need to focus on kind of guy. And if you're anything like me, that's what God is going to do for us in Ephesians 6, 4 today. He's going to give us three things. He's like, don't worry too much about 10 years from now where you want your kids to be. That's great. Um, don't worry so much about maybe even next year. But let's focus on these three principles. And these are going to help you no matter where you're at in your parenting with your kids. So if you want to flip over to Ephesians 6, 4. And while you're turning there, let me give you a quick recap of some of the other weighty words that God has spoke through Paul in Ephesians the last several weeks, in case you haven't been with us. So in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul had some weighty instructions for wives, and he was calling for them to show uh, respect and to submit to and to love their husbands. And then the following week, we talked about 
husbands, and we had some weighty words for husbands, asking them to sacrificially love their wives, to care for their wives as their own bodies. And then last week we looked at Paul's weighty words for young people. And Paul challenged young people to obey and to honor their parents out of respect and love for God and for his word. And so today we're going to look at Paul's instructions for parents. And these are some weighty words, and I want to give kind of a little side note here. Uh, If you're a student or if you're a young person that doesn't have kids, or maybe even if you're a grandparent, you're like, I'm kind of in a different stage. Um, One, I think that a lot of these principles can be used even to a child in the faith. Again, we're all called to make disciples. So I think you you can kind of think through some of the things we talk about and think, you know what, that can apply to this person that I'm trying to lead in the faith. So you can think about it that way. And then additionally, for those that don't have kids, you're probably going to one day. So take some notes and try not to lose them. And I think this will be helpful down the road. All right, let's read Ephesians 6.4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's read it one more time. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, if you're like me, it kind of helps to just have a couple things to focus on, and Paul gives us really three key concepts in parenting that he wants us to focus on. And I think these are especially important for us to try to adhere to because it's really rare that we find direct how-to commands for parenting in Scripture. We find it here, we find it in Colossians 3, Deuteronomy 6, we see some in Proverbs, but there's not a lot out there. Nothing compared to the 3,500 books that I saw being sold about Christian parenting on christianbook.com. There's not near that much in Scripture. So when we do have some things where it's like God's like, focus on this, this, and this for your parenting, it's got to be important. So let's uh, see, what we can, see what we can learn from what God has to say here. So our first weighty word about parenting is fathers do not provoke your children to anger. So number one today is do not provoke your children. Don't provoke your children to anger. And before, before moms kind of check out and you're like, well, it's talking about fathers, I can just kind of take it easy on this message. Um, this, this Greek word here, a lot of commentators say, you know, actually this can really mean both parents. It doesn't just necessarily always mean fathers. And that's probably the sense that we have here because Paul was just talking about both parents in verses 1 through 3. So really this is for moms and dads. But um, we can also say, too, that, you know, ultimately the leadership of the family, it does fall on the father. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's just a, a man's desire for respect, as we talked about in Ephesians 5.33, that uh, Paul was encouraging wives to respect their husbands. And, and it's tough to always get respect from kids, at least for me. Maybe it isn't for you. But kids don't always necessarily respect you. And so sometimes as dad, you can, you can be like, well, I, I'm just maybe going to kind of get them back a little bit. I'm going to provoke them. I'm going to push and prod them a little bit. And so this maybe can be especially tough for dads, but I think it also can be tough for moms as well. And this was very, this was very countercultural at the time. In the Roman world, dads had absolute authority to really kind of do whatever they wanted to do. And really by the law of the day, they could abuse their kids. There was no consequence for that. They could kill their children um, despite age. I mean, hopefully with a good cause, I don't know, but it, it, was, it was a totally different culture. And so when Paul says hey, parents, hey, dads, don't provoke your children to anger. That would have been very strange for people to hear that. They thought, wow, really? I thought, I thought parents could kind of do whatever they wanted with their kids. Paul says, no, that's not, that's not the way that Christ wants us to parent our kids. 
And as I was thinking about the word provoke, the word provoke makes me think about just doing some little things over and over, kind of a repetitiveness, continually provoking over and over till finally some things just start to build in your child. And, and this made me think about the deeply theological movie Finding Nemo. So many of you have probably seen Finding Nemo, and, and there's, a, there's a parent-child relationship that is struggling in Finding Nemo if you've never seen it. It's Merlin the dad fish, and it's Nemo the kid fish. And so Nemo has a little, kind of little disabled fin, okay? It's kind of, kind of a birth defect kind of thing. And so Merlin, out of love and out of concern, he's the typical overprotective helicopter parent. And he's like, now Nemo, be careful. Now Nemo, you know that you can't do what all the other kids can, so you've got to be real careful because you might get hurt. And, and Nemo, make sure you never go over there and make sure that, you know, he's always making sure that Nemo doesn't get hurt. And he's provoking Nemo. And Nemo finally gets where he's like, I've just had it. I can't, I'm so tired of my dad telling me what I can't do. I'm going to show him what I can do. So then one day he decides he's going to go with his buddies to the drop-off. So they go out to the dangerous drop-off where it's open sea. And his dad finds him out there. and He's like, Nemo, what are you doing? I told you to never come out here. And Nemo inches a little further away from his dad. He's like, you better get back over here. As soon. You're in big trouble, mister. He goes a little bit further. And a little bit further, and each time that his dad provokes him, he goes a little further away from his dad until he finally goes all the way out to the, to the boat. And he says, you better not touch that boat. He reaches out his fin, slaps the boat. He's like, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you're telling me to do, Dad, because for years and years you've been provoking me. You've been discouraging me. And it wasn't necessarily that what Merlin was saying was wrong. He was right. Nemo had a disability. Nemo needed to be careful, but it was how he went about trying to speak the truth to Nemo. We have to be careful about what, how we're saying things to our kids, not even just what we're saying. It says in Colossians 3.21, it says that provoking our children, it results in discouragement. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So what are some ways that we can discourage our children? What are some ways that we can provoke our children to anger? There's a lot of ways. Um, but there's three that I thought of that I wanted to talk about with you guys this morning. The first one is legalism. Legalism can provoke children to anger. So Jesus said to the Pharisees and the scribes in Mark 7, 8, that they were neglecting the commandment of God and they were holding to the tradition of men. So what the Pharisees were doing is they were saying, hey, yeah, we've got the commands of God. And, and maybe it started out with good intentions, I don't really know, but we've also got these commands that, that we've come up with because we really want to make extra sure that you follow these commands of God. And over time, it got to where these things were on the same pedestal. These had the same amount of weight in the eyes of a Pharisee, the traditions of men and the commands of God. We want to make sure that with our kids that they know the difference between those two things. The family rules, the family guidelines, the family boundaries, and then the commands of God. And of course, we want our boundaries and our guidelines, we want those to line up with the commands of God. But we want to make sure that they know that there's a difference between the two. Also, we want to think about, do we have rules that are adding unnecessary restrictions to our kids? And that's really kind of what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus said, you just put burden upon burden on people, restriction and boundary and and all these things where people have no freedom to live anymore. So 
Are our rules, our boundaries, our guidelines, are they putting unnecessary restrictions on our kids where maybe there's some resentment, there's some anger that's building up over time? If we don't see it now, we might see it one day when they've moved on, and we don't want that to happen. And, of course, as parents, we have to have guidelines. We have to have boundaries. We have to have rules uh, about, as our kids are growing up, about music, about movies, about dating, about all kinds of other things. And as just an example I was thinking of uh, for us where we got it right, because we don't always get it right, but I felt like we got it right this one time. And we had a rule in our house that our, our kids are not going to watch anything over PG. And um, a lot of PG stuff even we don't even watch. So it's like, G, you're good. PG, you're good sometimes, and then PG-13, we're just not going to do that. And so uh, my son is a huge Star Wars fan, and when we found out that Star Wars 7 was coming out, oh, I was building it up, it's going to be so awesome, we're going to go watch Star Wars 7, it's going to be great, I can't wait for us to do that, and thinking it's probably going to be rated PG, like I think all the other ones were, were, or most of the other ones were, and I didn't do any homework, and then I found out when it came out it was PG-13. And so we had this rule. We had this guideline, this is how it is in our house, and I was like, man. So we, we could just say, well, sorry, Parker, you're nine, PG-13, in four years you'll be able to see it, and that's that. And instead, we decided to do some homework and figure out, well, why is this PG-13? And look at some reviews about it. And then we waited for some other parents to go in to see it with their kids and talk to them, and well, what, what did you think about it? Did that, did that scare your kid? Do you think it was a negative experience? Was it good? You know, and we found, we heard some positive things, and so prayed about it a little bit. Talked to him about why. Here's why we're not just going and seeing it. Here's why we're not just throwing this rule aside. Here's why we're concerned. So we talked to him about why. And eventually we made the decision, you know what, I think this is a, this is a, a for instance, where we can break this rule, and we're going to go watch it. And so we went and we watched it. We had a great time together, and, and it was a good experience. And um, you know, sometimes we have to be willing to bend and break our rules and our preferences because it's just a tradition of man or a tradition of our family, and there might be certain times where it's right to do so. And this was a time where we felt like it's right to do that. But you know, in the same, kind of on the flip side of that, we want to make sure that our kids know this is the command of God. When we have, a, when we have the commands of God, this is the command of God. Don't break that. There's, there's, there's something bad that's going to happen if you do. This is always the way it is. So we want to make sure that our kids know the difference between our family rules and traditions. Be willing to bend and break those whenever, whenever the time is right. We want to make sure that they know that we also have the commands of God. And those things, those are solid. Those are things that we're not going to bend or break. That's sin whenever we do. So we want to make sure that we're not legalistic as parents because that can provoke kids to anger. A second thing that I thought of was confused leadership. Confused leadership. Eric talked about this a few weeks ago in Ephesians 5.23. Uh, it says that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So dads are supposed to be stepping up. They're supposed to be loving their wives sacrificially. They're supposed to be leading their families, cleansing their wives in uh, the word. And kids should be seeing that. Their father is the spiritual leader. And Eric had talked about how, but since the fall of mankind, men can tend to be passive. And women can be like, okay, well, I'm just going to step up and I'm going to lead. And that can happen, but it's not, it's not the best design for the home to function. It's not the way that God wants things to go in your home. And so if there's a lack of leadership in your home, it can cause anger. And it can provoke your kids to anger if they can't trust dad to lead and guide. And personally, I've seen this in student ministry before. 
as kids are teenagers and they're starting to uh, have changes in things in, in their lives and, and, and they realize that I'm not going to be under mom and dad's roof forever and, and they have this innate sense to become more independent and become their own person and that's why we have a lot of these tensions between parents and teenagers anyway. They're trying to kind of find themselves and what they're going to stand for and who they're going to be and they feel this natural need to kind of separate themselves. And when, when the dad is not stepping up and the dad is being passive, or maybe the dad isn't there at all, and the mom is trying to lead, I've seen several times where students can just become so bitter and they can become so resentful in that situation, and sometimes even hatred, very hateful toward their mothers. And so we need to make sure that we want to try to follow God's ways because his ways are perfect. And if the family is led in the way that God has designed it, and there's no confusion in leadership, it's going to keep our kids from being provoked to being angry. Thirdly is busyness. Busyness. There was a recent study at the University of California at Irvine, and it showed that parents are spending more time with their kids than they did 50 years ago, so that's good. Found that mothers spend about an hour and 40 minutes a day with their kids, and fathers spend about an hour a day with their kids. And time that they spend can include things like this. I'm sure these are things that, that you're doing with your kids on a daily basis, preparing food, feeding, bathing, changing diapers and clothes, preparing for bedtime, reading, playing, helping with homework, all that stuff. So my question for you is, with the hour to hour and a half that you have with your kids, what are you doing while you're going through and, and doing these tasks and these chores and going through this busyness? Are you being intentional are you asking questions? Are you trying to bring up spiritual matters? What are you doing with that hour to hour and a half? Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Here's what's suggested for us to do with that hour to hour and a half that we have with our kids each day. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I haven't talked to anybody that I can remember that said, man, I'm just not busy. I just really don't have anything going on. Do you have something for me to do? Because I'm not busy. Nobody ever says that. Everybody is busy. Everybody is cramming everything that they can into every day that they have. But what are you doing in your busyness? Are you being intentional? about the time that you do have with your kids, and maybe even more than that, are you, t are you setting aside time away from the busyness to show them, hey, you're important enough that I'm I want to spend quality time with you. I want to I pour into you. I want to listen to you. James Dobson has said, to a child, love is spelled T-I-M-E. Are we spending time with our kids? Are we rushing around and we're too busy, possibly provoking them to anger? There's a lot of other things that we could talk about here. I think the main thing is, you, maybe those three things don't resonate with you, but spend some time thinking about and praying about, God, is, are there ways where I'm provoking my kids to anger? And you know what would get you a whole lot of respect? Ask them. Hey, am I doing anything that's pushing your buttons? Am I doing anything that's provoking you to anger? Because I don't want to do that. And boy, that could be a great conversation to have with the children. So our first weighty word is don't provoke your kids to anger. Secondly, our second weighty word from God about parenting is to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. So number two 
is to discipline your children. Discipline your children. I think everybody has kind of a childhood memory of some kind of whooping or some kind of discipline they got, and I have a few of them. Uh, But one of them that stands out to me is when I thought as a young child that it would be a good idea to write my name on the ceiling. I don't know if I just kind of learned how to spell my full name or what it was, but I just decided that one day when I got home, if I stood on the back of the couch, I could reach the ceiling downstairs and I was going to write my name on the ceiling. And so I got started and I got all the way through about half of the Y. And then I heard one of my parents come home. And so then I stopped and I kind of left the scene. And I, I might have even kind of forgot that, about it. And then later that night, uh, my dad, who had a, probably a long day at work, he was laying down on the couch just kind of taking it easy. And, and he just kind of puts his head back, I guess, and he looks up during a, maybe a commercial break and he sees most of my name on the ceiling. And it was going to be hard for me to pin that one on my brother, you know, because it was, it was my name. And so I, I hear my name get yelled, and I knew that I was in trouble. And I got a good old spanking for that one. And you know what? I never wrote my name on the ceiling again. And I didn't write my name on anything on that house ever again after that, because I learned. I learned my lesson. And, you know, that sounds goofy, but, but kids naturally do some foolish things. And uh, Eric talked about this um, last week, how just foolishness is just bound up in their heart. And it's our job as parents to correct them. It says in Proverbs 22:15, it says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And in Proverbs 29:15, it says that the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. So children naturally have these foolish and sinful hearts, and they naturally want to get their own way. And this is really a bad combination. David said in Psalm 51, 5, he said, that surely from birth I was sinful. Surely from birth kids have this sinful, rebellious heart. And it says in Proverbs fourteen twelve, it says the way that seems right to man leads to death. So we have these kids that have sinful, rebellious hearts, just trying to wanting to go their own way. And that's just a that's a bad deal. They need us. They need us as parents to correct them, get back on get them back on the right path. Lovingly, graciously, but also firmly. And really here's the goal of discipline. The goal of discipline is not to just produce right behavior. The goal of discipline is to expose the heart. The goal of discipline is to expose the heart. John MacArthur states that every time they do wrong, it's a manifestation of the heart. Your children need to understand that they have a sinful heart. Really, what we want to do as parents is we want to bring up the fact so often that, you know, when when we have to discipline them, when they're in trouble, the reason why you did that is because you have a sinful heart. Lovingly, graciously talk to them about that. You have a sinful heart. You have a rebellious heart toward God. And, and that's why, ultimately, that's the root of what's going on here. That's, that's why you've done that. In fact, we want to talk about that so much whenever we have to discipline our kids. We want them to be thinking, what do I, I have a sinful heart. Like, I almost kind of feel like I have, I have no choice in the matter, that I'm just going to sin. I'm just going to do the wrong thing because I have this heart that I can't change? That is the question we want them to ask. If they're asking that question, that is a heart that is ripe for the gospel. We want them to know you have a sinful heart. There's nothing you can do to change that on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and give you a new heart. You need Christ. That's what we want them to be asking. We're not looking for mere behavior modification. 
if we enforce better behavior without hammering this truth of you have a sinful heart, we're going to make a great Pharisee one day. Somebody that looks great on the outside and they're doing all the right things, but on the inside, they're as lost and they're as prideful as ever. So we want to make sure that we're talking about the heart when we discipline our kids. I know that we try to, again, not perfectly, but we try to, when our kids get in trouble, to spend time, every time, talk. It's a, it's a great opportunity to talk about the heart. Do you know why you did that? And it's amazing how many times my kids would be like, I don't know. I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to be mean. I just wanted to be impatient, disrespectful. I don't, I don't know. Well, here's the answer. Here's why you did that. You have a sinful heart that God needs to change. You can't change it yourself. That's why Christ came. Did you know that Christ came to die for, like the sin that you just committed, he died for that, for you, so you can be forgiven and you can be changed. When we discipline our kids in that way, it is a great opportunity for them to hear the gospel. And then we pray about it, we hug, and hopefully God is going to use it to lead them to Christ. So when it's done correctly, they're going to make connections between discipline from their earthly parents and discipline from their godly parent. It talks about this in Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. You can flip there if you want to. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. It says, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which we all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And we see some of these connections here. It says, both discipline from earthly parents and from God show children who they belong to. Discipline is a way for us to ensure them, hey, you're mine. Hey, you, you belong to me or you belong to God. Because if we didn't care about you, we just let you just kind of go about your business and do whatever you wanted to. But we care so much about you, we want you to do what's right and not what's wrong. And it helps teach them, you're mine. You belong to our family and you belong to God's family when he disciplines you. Also, both discipline from earthly parents and from God, they're painful it's painful for the parent, and it's painful for the kid at the time. But in due time, it brings about righteousness. We want our kids to do what's right, and discipline does that. And then lastly, earthly discipline, it yields respect to the parents, and it's short term. But godly discipline is for our eternal spirit, the father of spirits. And we're going to live and have life now and have life eternally. And it brings about holiness. It sets them apart. It makes them different. So parents, are we disciplining our children? Are we leading them to Christ in the process? Not looking for behavior modification alone, but really trying to teach them about their hearts. That's step two of our weighty calling as parents. And our third and our final weighty word for parents is to instruct our children in the Lord. So number three is instruct your children. We're to instruct them in the Lord. And I'm, I'm kind of a, God has kind of wired me. I'm kind of a teacher by, by nature. I kind of like to teach stuff and whatever it is I like to teach my kids how to throw a ball uh, I like to teach them how to properly like sweep the floor and I don't know what it is I just like 
being able to teach them something and then see them get it and be able to independently do it on their own. So I like to instruct my kids, maybe sometimes too much, where it might be provoking them to anger. But um, I like to instruct my kids, but this is not really what Paul is talking about. That stuff's important, but it's not of first importance. And it's not what Paul had in mind here. He says, instruct them in the Lord. And there's really a lot of stuff we could talk about here that could be a whole nother sermon. We could talk about attitude. We could talk about finances. We could talk about work ethic. We could talk about all kinds of different things that we could instruct them in about the Lord. But I would say none of those things are of first importance either. Paul tells us what's of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Teaching our kids the gospel, that's of first importance. Everything else, it pales in comparison. It is a distant second. We want to teach our kids the gospel. And it's really easy to not do that because there's a lot of voices from other parents. There's a lot of voices in society that are constantly asking you other questions. Are you instructing your kids in this? Are you instructing your kids in that? Some of the things I thought of is, hey, can your kid ride a bike yet? Man, I'm so worried about, like, our kids are never going to learn how to ride a bike, and they finally got it this year, you know? And I was so concerned about it. Um, hey, can your kids swim? Oh, my kids can't swim. I've got to get my kids swimming, you know? I've got to instruct them. I've got to figure out how to do this. You know, how's your kid's reading level? Do they have good social skills? Are they on the A honor roll? Do they have a lot of friends? Are they going to make the traveling team this year? Uh, are they doing well enough to, uh, to get into college? And what college are they looking at? And what career field do you think they're going to go in? There's a lot of voices that we hear saying, you need to instruct them in that. You need to get them on the right track in that. Those things are all important, but they're not near as important as instructing them in the Lord. Author and speaker Vody Bauckham he talked about this in his own life personally. He said, I was hearing a lot of these voices. And he said, me and my wife were really big on education, which is a good thing. He said, but we, we maybe were so focused on that and some of the other pressures that we feel from society that just all of a sudden God kind of got a hold of us one day and we had the realization that if we raised our children to be great doctors or to be great lawyers or to be great athletes or to be great musicians, but we did not instruct them and train them in the ways of God and to honor their parents, and to obey him, we would be failures as parents. I just thought, wow. Are, are we instructing them in the Lord as of first importance? Because all these other things aren't as important. They're important, but they're not near as important as instructing them in the Lord. And you know what? We can talk about it all day long, but if the gospel is not of first importance to us, it's not going to be real effective when we talk to them about how it needs to be of first importance to them. It says in Luke 6, 640, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And we all know that, parents. We all know that they're going to do what you do, that they're going to value what you value. If the gospel is of first importance in your life, if the gospel is guiding the convictions that you have, the way that you live, the love that you have for other people, the peace that you have throughout life, if you have that, then they're going to notice that. If you don't have that, then they're going to notice that too. The gospel has to be of first importance to us. And as it says in 1 John 3.18, it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. Let's not just talk about it, but with actions and in truth. We want to live it out. 
So do they see the gospel as of first importance in their life? And that's the number one thing that we want to instruct them in in their life. So as we close, to kind of, to kind of wrap it up and to summarize what we've talked about today, parents have been given a difficult and a weighty task. Um, talked about doing projects. And there's, there's no project that's near as tough as parenting. Trying to parent a child in the Lord is a difficult and it's a weighty task. And uh, I, I talked to a friend a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, he said, you know, I was a pretty, like people would have said I was a patient person until I had kids. And then I realized, man, I struggle with patience. I'm not very patient. Kids have a way of kind of showing us things about ourselves that we kind of thought we had down, and, and we actually struggle with it. It's tough. But as I said before, sometimes, you know, it helps to have a, maybe a five or ten year plan for your kids, but what if we don't worry quite so much about that and we let God take care of that stuff and we focus on three different principles that he's given us so that we can be successful as a Christian parent? Those three things, again, were don't provoke them to anger. Let's not be legalistic about how we parent our kids. Let's be clear about the difference between our rules and God's rules. That we don't confuse our kids about who the leader in the home is. That we're not too busy to spend time with our kids, but we use the time that we have to teach them about Christ. Number two, that we discipline them in the Lord. We need to show them you have a sinful heart and it can be changed by Christ's power. And number three, we want to instruct them in the Lord. We want the gospel to be of first importance to us so that it can be of first importance to them and they realize their need for Christ. And we really need to make sure that we don't forget this isn't all on us. We're not undergoing this difficult, weighty task all by ourselves, that God's Spirit is at work within us. God's Spirit is at work within our kids. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is it he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So ultimately, it's really not on us. We can't change their hearts, and we can't make them grow. It's God that's going to do that. But we want to do everything we can as a parent to give fertile ground for God to work. And this is a task that calls for our greatest attention and our efforts, more so than so many other things in life. It says in Psalm 127.3, it says that children are a gift from the Lord. And a lot of people in society are going to say, no, they're not. They're a burden. They cost a lot of money. They keep you from having the freedom to do whatever you want to do with your life. That's what society says, but God says, no, no, no. They're, they're a gift from him in so many ways. And there's really no greater honor that's going to carry the title of being called mom or dad. There's no elected office. There's no position that you can have in work. And I would say there's no role you can have at the church. Your family is your first ministry. God wants you to disciple your kids, to teach them about Christ. And there's no place you're going to have a greater impact. And as John said in one of his letters, he said, there's really no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth.